welcome to the podcast episode for today. My name is John, and I have the joy and privilege of being one of the pastors at Reality Vancouver Church. This uh, audio that you're about to hear is the second and final part of the event that we held on Sunday, September 18th, hosting Francis Carlick, who is a residential school survivor and also a follower of Jesus. So in the first part of this, uh, which we released earlier, Francis shares her story, which I really encourage you to go and take a listen to. And the second part of the audio, uh, which we'll have right away, is uh, where we had a Q&R with Francis. So myself and another pastor in Vancouver, Monica, hosted that question and response. You'll also hear some questions from the crowd, and unfortunately the audio quality is kind of in and out on those questions, but you'll hear Francis' response. And then also joining Francis on the stage for the response were Gordy and Kathleen Lagore. So she mentions them in uh, her story quite a bit, and they're pastors of Vancouver Eastside Vineyard Church, uh, which is a neighboring church here in Vancouver. We've had Gordy preach at our church before, and they're just beautiful people. And so we're so grateful that they uh, were able to join and uh, share their stories and perspectives as well. It was a beautiful and wonderful evening. And um, I hope that this, uh, you enjoy this audio and that it, it helps you to understand Francis more and to be moved to actions of following Jesus and reconciliation. Enjoy. Thank you for sharing this. Um, is it Sogania? This good news story. Thank you for sharing your story of lament and grace. We heard uh, trauma and abuse, and our only response is lament. And we also heard so much strength in you, freedom, creativity, your love of justice, your intelligence, your incredible um, hard work in healing, and also just receiving so much grace. So we're really honored to hear your story. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. We, we want to give space for people to ask questions and to hear more from you. So go ahead and, and we'll all take seats here. And you all can either, um, there'll be a roving mic. And if you have a question, just raise your hand and Nelson and John will, will come and be with you, and you can ask your question. You can also text your question to John. He has his phone. The number is there on the, on the screen. So um, if you feel more comfortable texting, you can do that as well. Francis, I'll just start with, can you just share a little bit more about your beautiful headpiece? That you, did you make that, or is that a gift? And tell us a bit about the story there. Okay. Um, when I was teaching at home, in Watson Lake Secondary, and I started, you know, working with grade 8 to 12. I worked with the elders in our area, and we were making regalia, and I was learning how to do beadwork, and one of the elders made it for me as a gift. And I feel like royalty every time I put it on. I don't wear my button blanket as often by choice. Um, There's another story to that but I'm very, very proud to wear my headband, you know. I take it out for special occasions. She was a hard-working woman, and so this gift is very special. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a question coming in, and uh, I think maybe trying to summarize what I'm thinking and also the question itself. In the residential, residential schools, did you hear a lot about God? Did they talk a lot about the name of God and the love of God as they were committing these atrocities to you? And how did you, you know, reconcile that later as you uh, and Gordy walked through that together in Kathleen? Well, our earliest memories were of the nuns speaking about the devil more than God to put the fear into us, I believe, uh, so we grew you know grew up going to bed terrified at night because you know they would give us warnings about the devil and i i used to have nightmares i'd be so scared so i keep people awake beside me just you know because i had so much fear and um but i wasn't the only one other little kids did too and um you know when you don't have reassurance and not hearing about God's love, you know. Uh, they, they talked about everything but the love of God, and which is really sad because they missed opportunities that could have changed so many things. You know, if we heard the proper gospel, I'm sure you would not see the grief today that you see everywhere. And I'm mindful of it. I had to work through my fear of the devil. I don't give him any more praise whatsoever because God is a God of love. You know, I'm grateful for that message from the Bible. It's great. I just want to remind you that there's two gentlemen here with mics. If you have questions, you can throw your hand up and we'll take some, some questions from the community as well. Thank you so much for your uh, sharing tonight. I'm just wondering, what are your prayers for, like, for further healing? What, what's, what's God putting on your heart for yourself, but also your people? And what would you like to see in Canada happen even further? I wasn't totally focused, but then what did he say? Okay, we need a repeat, sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, what are your, uh, can, like, I'm, I'm really thankful to see the healing that's happened in your life so far, but what are... What are some things God's putting on your heart for further healing uh, for yourself, for your people? Um, what would you like to see in Canada, like further reconciliation? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. You know, we really appreciate the prayers. God is so good. We feel the prayer covering when people pray. Laura Post has attested to that many times. Um, you know, because we are faithful, we keep praying for the community. But I think, you know, we need to pray for all of our indigenous communities, for God, you know, to really move. There's a lot of believers, you know, that don't come out publicly, but they're there. They're praying people. And I believe, you know, that's what's kept our reserves up to this point. And we want to see more of a movement. That's always been our dream. Right, Gordy? You know, to see our people being set free. To hear Sogania for them, that the gospel is good news. They were told, you know, nothing about Jesus, the real Jesus, and what he stood for on this earth. And I think that has to happen. Our young people are waiting. They've been under the ice like they're frozen. But God wants to thaw it out and bring them and raise them up too. And I believe that day is coming. 
You know, that's, that's our hope. Uh, one thing that we've talked about is uh, that, you know, the, the, the gospel is, is not a white man's gospel. So I think part of the answer to that question might be, Francis, that we want to just be able to share the real Jesus. Right? So they know that um, Jesus was at work far before any white missionaries came. And to see Jesus in your own indigenous culture, would you agree with that? Wonderful hearing you tonight. Thank you very much. I'm deeply moved. Can you comment briefly the visit of the Pope? Is this helpful in the healing process? It was very important to every one of us that were on that delegation, even the young people that went with us from all across Canada. Our people said it's time because the Catholic Church was silent about what happened to us. And so many of the abuses happened in the Catholic residential schools. So hearing the Pope apologize to us meant a lot to many of us survivors. But the backlash from the people back home was what really floored our, our elders. They said in Rome that the work is just starting because they knew that the anger and everything that's been boiling, many of them are not even residential school survivors. They're younger generation that are carrying that pain. And the elders said it's time that we start to tell our stories to our own people. Because there was a code of silence, like I said, from the residential school. And many of our people never got a chance to tell their story. So when we told our truth in front of the Truth and Reconciliation, there was only a camera there. So our stories basically weren't told publicly to anyone. No one heard my story about what happened to my uncle from a family's perspective and how devastating that could be. We have children in lower posts that never returned home. And they never told the families what happened to the children. So my aunt went to her grave not knowing what happened to two of her children that she sent off to residential school. So these are things that have to come out. We can't heal when there's secrets. We have to tell our truth. And whether people want to hear it or not, that is our truth. In order for Canada to move ahead and really heal, we have to stand together. Like, I credit with the vineyard, with being so brave in the midst of our grief and pain, to stand there and pray for us right in the midst of that grief. I think that's why we saw the move of God so powerful. And if it can happen in little lower posts, imagine what would happen in other places. Our people have to tell their story because it's Canada's story. It's just not indigenous stories. Racism was real. 
the behaviors that were out in the public were real. And they hurt so many of us. And we have to forgive. That was one of the things that God showed me in Rome. Because in my head, I was mocking the Catholic Church at that service in Assisi. And the Holy Spirit came on me so powerfully and told me I needed to forgive. But in my heart, I told God I already did. But I paid lip service to it. I didn't do it totally in my heart until I was there in Assisi at that service. And I was convicted for mocking the Catholic Church because God said, this is my church too. And I tell you, I repented at that service. I asked God to forgive me for holding a grudge because I really didn't totally forgive. I was holding on to that little piece of unforgiveness. So it's a process for sure. Um, Maybe I'll ask a question. One of the things I was struck with in your story, Francis, is the number of uh, strong women who helped you in the story. There was your mom. There was, I think, Sister Jackie was her name. Yeah. Your sister paved the way for you, and then you met Kathleen, and I'm sure there's many others, and I include you in that group, too, as uh, you know, a strong woman who's, who's here and leading the way for many others. Are there any, and I'll ask this maybe both to, to both of you, Kathleen and Francis, are there any common traits that you would say that are really helpful as you pave the way for, for other people, both men and women, to follow Jesus through difficult, difficulty and trauma? Don't give up. There's many times I'd make uh, time for coffee. I don't drink coffee anymore. I drink decaf because I'm too hyper now. Uh, but, you know, Francis wouldn't show up. Because you didn't believe, really, that someone could be faithful and be a friend. Because she'd never experienced that before. And there was just something about... Being a friend and don't give up. So you just don't give up. So it's been like 30 years, right, Francis? And so I can't be a friend to everybody, but um, that's one trait. I think every mother in this room would know you don't give up. No matter what happens to your baby or to your child, to your friend, you don't give up. You just don't turn around and and give up. <laughs> so just keep calling, just keep visiting. And I think part of the, the other issue is don't expect them to come to you. You have to go to them. So this is a great opportunity for us to go. And anybody that would go with us to Laura Post, we would say, please just listen. Don't talk. <laughs> just go into their homes, have a cup of tea and listen. Ask them questions. You're not there to tell them anything. You're just there to listen and build a bridge. So I want Gordy yeah, to but share okay. with you. You share first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, friendship is really important. Like I say, in the early years, I was very shy and wanted to hide away at the back of the room. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to Kathleen be, for being there and, um, you know, sharing the gospel with me. Like in the early years, we had home groups. And so I went for prayer a lot because, you know, of my family family struggles. 
before my husband was taken, uh, we had to pray up a storm. And then pray for lower post after that because our people were really in pain. And I'm just so grateful, you know, that God was so merciful and cemented our friendship. Everybody up there knows Gordy and Kathleen. And they know about the vineyard. So it's, it's a beautiful friendship in my eyes because of our journey together. Gordy, could you say a few words? She wants to. Hi, Francis. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. I have a question relating to, uh, I, have a, I have a group of friends who are uh, sponsoring a refugee to come here. Um, so his parents were killed because of their political affiliations. And so they're sponsoring a refugee to come here. Um, but in light of, you know, we're all a bunch of immigrants here living on unceded land, I, I almost feel like I have to ask permission. Is it okay for us to invite him onto this land? And if he would be welcome here by the indigenous people, um, what would be a, a good way to um, honor the history of this land? What would be a good way to receive uh, the foreigner, the refugee, um, in a way that honors um, your people? How to welcome the refugee. Yeah. Our people were always welcoming in our history. You know, no one was turned away. But because of colonialism, there was a breakdown for that. But I believe it's coming back for our people. Like I give an example of Chief Wilton Littlechild, who gave the headdress to the Pope. Um, You know, as you know, he was a refugee, the Pope coming to our land. (laughs) So... (laughs) You know, when he put the headdress on, that came from the chief's heart. You give what really has meaning to you. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Even the younger generation, I don't think, you know, remembered that. But that's the way our people were. They would welcome people in. And there is a shared history, like I said, in Vancouver because of racism in the 1950s. We heard the stories about how Chinese students on their way to school would get beaten up and they knew where the indigenous people lived and they would run to them for help. And the indigenous people would come out and, you know, take care of them and chase, you know, the perpetrators away. So, you know, that kind of a history, you know, our people were welcoming people. That was what, how we treated other people that didn't belong to our people. We have many stories of gatherings of our people, you know, that when they came together, they exchanged gifts. And the potlatch is, you know, gift-giving. You give everything away, which I believe modeled true Christianity. How many of us can say today that we gave everything away to follow the Lord, you know? Um, they had that concept. And so I just say, you know, these things are important. And I believe that, you know, in my heart, I've always wanted to have a potlatch. Uh, I really, I do. 
and I wanted to be a forgiveness potlatch with my Coastalish people because I was so angry at the way my husband was treated. And that's something on my to-do list. If God allows it, it's going to happen. Uh, they have potlatches in the Yukon Territory when people have passed away, but that's not the concept for potlatches. So I just want to share that with you and uh, let you know that our people welcome people from their hearts. And I believe it's coming back. Do you remember that story I shared with you, Francis? Uh, in the year 2000, we gathered the survivors, living survivors of the St. Louis in Ottawa. Uh, these were Jewish refugees that were turned away from Canada in the Second World War and from the U.S. and from other countries and ended up uh, one-third survived, two-thirds died because they ended up back in concentration camps. So we were able to get one-third of the survivors into, back to Ottawa for a reconciliation event and to apologize to them. And my favorite moment, there was a lot of amazing moments on that incredible night, but my favorite moment was when the chief of the assembly, or deputy chief, I can't remember which, stood up because different people, speakers, government leaders were standing up and speaking and apologizing to these Jewish refugees who were now, you know, in their, at that time, 60s, 70s. But the deputy chief came up and he said, he said, um, he said, well, if it would have been up to us, we'd have let you all in. We let everybody else in. And so I would just say that that is the heart of First Nations people. They always wanted to share this land. Uh, I've felt that every time we've gone to Lower Post. I always feel like we receive way more than we could ever have given. I feel like I'm healed every time we go. And I think with new, new Canadians, I think just being faithful to pass on the story, you know, so they, they understand, like you just said, that we are all immigrants. And, uh, you know, yeah. knowing, what, what was that scripture where it says that there was a Pharaoh who rose up who did not know Joseph? And because of that, his heart was hard. And I think when we forget history and forget our story, it, it hardens our hearts. And so that's why we tell the story. It's not to wallow in shame or guilt, but to keep our hearts soft. Yeah. I'm an ESL teacher, so I'd, I'd like to just say that in the past when we've had, uh, of course, I work a lot with uh, Mandarin-speaking kids from China. I work with Koreans. Done that for 30 years. Um, when we have intentional cross-cultural outreach, when we have like we're just a little church in East Van, but we always love to have Francis or Stephanie, who's part of the Nishka in our congregation. We always like to have them do the welcome. So they, they are, we believe in the vision of restoration for indigenous people being the welcoming people. And it's very powerful. And so Francis can, she can drum or she can sing or she can bring a prayer. Um, it's very, very powerful. When, when you speak in your own language, when Stephanie speaks in her own language, you can hear a pin drop. And it's, it's so much respect. And I think that that's part of the vision, to answer your question, of seeing our indigenous people put in where they 
God originally wanted them to be in our congregations uh, as people that can welcome and have a place to speak. You know, they will not rush up to the mic and grab the mic until you invite them to come. So this is such a, a wonderful opportunity tonight that you've invited Francis to come. This is very, very wonderful. We have another question here that came by text. Is there anything the church can do to make themselves a more comforting or safe place for indigenous people? Ways that we can better honor and support healing. Well, you know what? I believe that just, you know, greeting people and letting them know that they're welcomed in your church is really important. I mean, you know, there's no barriers when you're talking to people. You know, you just invite them in. And that's what the vineyard did to me in the early years, you know. Uh, It made all the difference for me. Uh, I went to many other churches searching and very few felt very comfortable. But when I went to the vineyard, they were so just being themselves and in a relaxed way. So I felt like, you know, I can handle this. This is such a neat place to be. I wanted to come back. And uh, so, yeah, in the early years, I think it, it, that was crucial, you know, that... If you have the opportunity to meet people, just get to know them and ask them who they are. And if they feel comfortable, you know, letting you know, then you've got your foot, you know, in the door to welcome these people in. I really believe that, you know, God needs to change man's heart. All of us, you know, have to keep our hearts opened because of my wounding in my own life. I don't trust very many people, but prayer covers me, and I'm able to do that. So I just want you to know it it is, you know, God's giving me a boldness that's come over me only recently. I think he said, okay, enough hiding, Francis. You come out of that closet now, and you share your story you know, it started with Gordy and Kathleen inviting me in the church, you know, and p- raising me up, you know, asking me if I would share a song or share with people. And that's how it started. So step by step, everything helps. Yeah. We have time for a few more questions uh, if, we, if you have them. So feel free to throw your hands up or send a few more texts in. You know, most of us, as I look around the room, uh, we're settler people here. And so uh, I wanted to ask Gordy, you specifically, you and Kathleen were such an amazing part of this story. You know, is there one or two things you would say from your perspective as a Christian who's a settler person that you've learned through this journey that you could encourage us with as we want to take the same road as well? Yeah, it's such a... It, it was a, such a journey, I think, for both of us. It started in our own growing up in Canada and, you know, having indigenous uh, friends in school and knowing something was amiss but not knowing quite what. And we were living in England in 
1989-91 and Dances with Wolves came to the theater. I still can't tell this story, uh, but I just wept for six, six weeks when I saw it. And I don't know why. I didn't know why. I, and so we came back to Vancouver. I was 35 years old at the time. I got that job at UBC. Kathleen went to the same class as Francis, and we found out for the first time, 35 years of age, that there was a residential school for me half an hour from where I lived growing up, and that a lot of these indigenous friends that I had had spent the first six, seven years of their life uh, in these residential schools. So it's just been this, you know, unfolding journey of dealing with our own our own shame over this and needing repentance. I felt like the first time we went to Lower Post, it was just a week of repentance, just a river of tears. I remember David Maines, uh, Huntley Street guy, saying, I just want to go to every reserve in Canada and just just weep and repent and say I'm sorry. And I think, I think it's just been this, just setting our hearts on a journey of repentance. I really believe the gospel even though it was so badly misrepresented and twisted uh, through this saga, because it got, you know, there's a whole thing of empire and colonialism, and it all got mixed in there uh, very painfully. Um, I think that there's, there's, that gospel is still the answer. If we will set our hearts on uh, the kingdom, the Beatitudes, the heart of Jesus, um, staying, you know, being listeners. Um, there, there's just so, so much about, like, as I said, we just feel like every time we go, we receive way more than we give and, and we're healed more than we're healed. And we, and recognizing that we, we need healing as much as, if not more than the very people that we hurt. It's the prayer of Jesus from the cross who who, who recognized that these perpetrators were in way worse trouble than he was, even though he was the one hanging on the cross. And I, I have just felt that we as a culture, we're twisted, we're broken, we're arrogant, we're materialistic, and I feel so much of God coming through indigenous people. And we missed our chance the first time, 500 years ago. But it's like God is giving us another chance when we can journey together in this healing of restoration and mutual healing. Yeah. I would just say it's a partnership with Francis. And when we went up, we didn't say we didn't have our own agenda. So first of all, we need to make friends with indigenous people. We need to genuinely make a friend. And, and then we need to ask them, how can I walk with you? How can, I, how can we walk, walk together? So when we went up, they, we said, what can we do together with you? We didn't say, well, we want to do this, and we think you need, you need to do this. And they came up with the uh, children's playground because these kids had, didn't even have a playground. So we worked together. We did, it together. we did it together. It wasn't us going up there and us doing it, but your brother Walter, he, he was got the big caterpillar in there and we worked together and I'd never I'm not a builder but I learned how to use a saw and <laughs> somebody supervised so I didn't cut my hand off and I just want to say something about 
Okay, I know it's politically incorrect, but Indian humor. <laughs> I'm just reading Chief Louis' book, uh, The Chief of Asoyos. Powerful book. I would say just, just make sure if you're a reader, read a couple books a year from indigenous authors. There's a wonderful novelist, uh, uh, Wagamese. What's his first name? Richard, uh, Richard Wagamese. Wonderful novelist. Um, the Center for Reconciliation with Chief... Um, Robert Joseph, incredible resourcing. Like, they're just so proactive. Like, they initiated the TRC. I mean, what does that say? They initiated the TRC. Uh, and they're, they're proactive in just giving us every resource. And, and uh, speaking of one little quick story about Francis' mom, we went door-to-door one day in Lower Post, uh, Lorna and myself, she was a very respected and loved elder in the community. And we were just knocking on doors, seeing if elders needed help, you know, cleaning up, prayer, whatever. And I said to her when we started, Lorna, I'm a little bit nervous. And she goes, oh! She looked at me and she says, is it those savages? And then she laughed her head off. So. Must have been. Anyway. Well, you can pray for Frances for sure because we we want her to see if she can develop a website with somebody else's help, not mine, because I'm not a techie. But but I think we need to know where we can get these resources, right? Yeah. And so uh, that's that's a great question. Thank you. Yeah. Frances, this morning you spoke a lot about. Um, weaving prayer through your life now and for many years. And maybe as a final story, um, telling about your husband um, bringing the Bible home. Um, You didn't share that this evening, but that was really moving to me um, to watch how the Holy Spirit moved through your life even before... Um, there was someone specifically telling you about. Um, I was really moved by your story of coming to Christ in your secret place. Um, so if you could share that, it would be wonderful. Okay, thank you. I was going through marital problems, and uh, I wanted to pack up and leave my husband again. And um, we, li- we had a house at 21 Cooper Lane in Victoria on the Songhees Reserve and um, I didn't unpack my suitcase totally. I kept it, you know, three-quarters full. And um, Christmas came, and my husband bought me a Bible. And it was just like it burnt me. I threw it in the corner on the floor. And um, then I started to sneak read it because I was so curious. I saw something different in my brother and sister when I was in lower post, and I, I couldn't put my finger on what it was. So I started to sneak read the Bible. When my husband was home, the Bible was still in the place where I threw it. <laughs> but when he was at, you know, uh, at work, I would pick it up and read it. And uh, one day I said, if there's a God, you know, I would sit in my little room and pray in there. And I said, if there's really a God, teach me how to read this book so I can be like my brother and sister too. And I was flicking radio the radio channels and here the voice came on at that very second on how to read the Bible 
I just about fell off that chair. I was so... So I had to listen to it. So I started to read the Bible with some understanding that Jesus was real. And my husband used to peek through the window when he'd come home at lunch because he knew there was something going on. And he'd stare at me through the window. (laughs) And I came out of that room transformed. I'm not kidding you. My husband thought I went crazy. (laughs) The very way I judged other Christians that I had met, you know, because they loved the Lord so much and they were on fire. And so I'm, you know, as I shared that this morning, I wanted to get up on my roof at 21 Cooper Lane and shout from the top of my lungs, Jesus is real. I understand now because, you know, the Lord touched me. So I unpacked my suitcase like I shared um, and all these pamphlets were stuck everywhere, Christian pamphlets. So I packed them all up and I mailed them to my sister and said, please pass these out to people in lower post. I said, Jesus is real, and I mailed them back to her. And my sister phoned me and said, who do you think stuck them everywhere in your suitcase? <laughs> so that was my experience. And I became a, a prayer, a praying woman after that. And God did a lot of uh, miracles in my life during that period of time, right up until 1993. And I'm grateful for everything that happened. So the hardship, everything, you know. My life was transformed from a broken woman into a person with dignity, strength, hope, and God's teaching me how to have love in my heart. So that, I think, you know, right now, that's where I'm at. Well, we want to um, move towards closing this evening. And just like uh, the, the, the message you gave this morning at Pilgrim is going to be available online. And I think we're recording this tonight as well. So if you want to go back and listen to some of those things. And um, thank you, Frances. Can we just uh, honor her with another round of applause? And- Would you all stand with me if you're able to do so? And uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Gordy and well, and your wife. Um, unexpected pleasure to have you join us on this. On this day. Thank you for joining us tonight, too. Um, Francis, uh, I just, there's so much that we're going to be unpacking. And my heart, at least with Pilgrim Church, is that we will say, okay, what are the next steps? And if you've shared some of that this evening and your pastor and wife have shared some of that as well, and that's been amazingly helpful for me and I'm sure for others here. So thank you so much. Um, I want to say a big thanks also to, uh, uh, to John here at Re- and Reality Church for hosting tonight, for Monica, Kitsilano Christian Fellowship, also uh, for Nelson from Artisan Church helping with the prayers. And um, thank you everyone for being here tonight. And don't let this be the end of this for you. I guess that would be my, my only plea is, you don't know me at all, but don't let this be the end. Let this be a next step and ask what that next step is. And um, thank you for being here tonight. Go in peace.
Serve the Lord. Love others. Amen.